0: that, I know. (laughs) You just heard the Celebrity Apprentice theme song, uh, Money, Money, Money. Uh, These are the opening words for a game show about uh, celebrities uh, performing before Donald Trump, and if they can kind of win out the competition, they can give lots of money to their charities. For those of you that really like music, it's the OJs. Uh, it's the song, For the Love of Money. So it's kind of a fun song, but it has an interesting message. If we had really listened to it carefully, we would have heard words like, oh man, that mean, mean money, that mean green money, the almighty dollar, almighty dollar. Uh, it also says, money is no good, no good, but we really got to have it but we really need it. Have you ever felt controlled by money? Like you really do have to have it or you won't be happy. Or the decisions you make, everything seems to center around making money, spending money, making sure that you have enough money. It can, it can control us very, very easily, very quickly. Well, we're talking today in Matthew chapter 6. We're actually going to be looking at verses 19 through 24 primarily, but we're talking about money. And if this is your first week here, welcome. Uh, We're going to make it really personal. Now, if you were with us last week, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount and we talked uh, through the end of chapter 5. And so we're actually skipping some verses in Matthew chapter 6. We're we're skipping a section on prayer and a section on fasting. And if you want to learn about the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, we went through a sermon in the fall. You can go online. You can find it there. And we will go through fasting at some point. We're just not going to do it in this sermon series, Meeting Jesus in Matthew. But there is one kind of connector point between praying, fasting, and money. See, all these things are heart issues. When we come before God, we come before him in prayer, expressing our heart to him. Fasting is an expression of dependence on God, where we abstain from those things, whether food or drink or some other thing, Facebook, to say, God, we're dependent on you. And money, well, there's nothing more personal than money because it controls us. And God wants to know does he control you or does your wallet control you? And so we're not going to talk about this every week. Uh, Andy did say that I taught on it last summer. So it's only about once a year that we're going to end up talking about tithes and offerings. But this is that week that we're looking at what Jesus taught. And see, Jesus taught that we should really focus not on a kind of earthly financial success, but heavenly financial success heavenly banking Uh, he teaches that we can invest actually not only in like our our futures here on earth but we can invest in our eternity Uh, that we can uh, build up kingdom reward through giving through trusting in Jesus and through some other things that we're going to see in this passage So Matthew 6, 1 through 4, uh, thank you, Bill, for reading it, but we're not going to talk about it. I just want to kind of summarize the point of that passage uh, that Jesus says. But before I do that, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into that. Father God, money and finances is an incredibly personal issue, and so I ask that you would give me the right words to say, give me wisdom. Uh, would your Holy Spirit speak uh, through me, speak through your words, speak to our hearts uh, so that we can give over every single aspect of our lives, uh, including our money, but most importantly, our hearts. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 1 through 4? The first four verses that we looked at. Well, Jesus makes several assumptions about those that claim to follow him in that passage. He makes an assumption that we do give; that we give to the poor, uh, that we give to whatever God is doing. Notice verse two says, "When you give to the needy," it doesn't say if you give to the needy. It says, when you give to the needy. And so, Jesus assumes that we're doing that. And so, the next question is, well, how do we do that? And Jesus says, well, I care about that, too. I want you to do it with a right heart attitude, I want you to do it with a heart attitude that cares more about what I think of your giving than what others think of your giving. It doesn't say that you can't give in front of others, but it does say don't give in order to be seen by others. So when we collect an offering at Cornerstone, the idea is not to kind of wave your check around and then put it in the basket. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put it in, and if others see, that's fine. But we're coming before God and we're giving because we care about what he thinks of us. We want to obey him. Uh, So that's really the point of the first four verses. Uh, But we're going to jump to 19 through 24, uh, in which Jesus really talks about this idea of investing in eternity. And I think he gives us really three three reasons to invest in eternity. Uh, Reason number one is that heaven offers an imperishable reward heaven offers an imperishable reward so let me read 19 through 21 I encourage you to read it in your bible uh, as I go along because you never know what you're going to catch every single time you read it do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is already teaching us something about the nature of our earthly treasures, of our earthly investments. He's saying that earthly treasures are temporal, perishable, and they are ultimately unsatisfying in comparison to what God can offer. Now, the Jewish people of Jesus' culture, they had treasures, Uh, and it's similar to our kind of treasures. They would keep their valuable possessions in places that they thought were safe, so, they would keep them in storerooms, which was usually the only room in the house that had a lock on it, that had a door on kind of the inside of the house. So, you know, treasure could be stored in a storeroom. Uh, you could also store it in a treasure box. Maybe you had one of those growing up where you put your valuables in. Mine was a Tub Aware, it wasn't very valuable. But you could put different kinds of things here, just like we store our valuables. You could put clothing, uh, you you could put uh, monetary possessions, coins, jewelry, whatever, whatever you valued most. But in that culture, as you can imagine, uh, you know things weren't airtight really, and bugs could break in, especially with clothing. So uh, maybe some of you have run into moths, moths getting into your clothing. They had the same issue. See, moths like to eat any sort of uh, animal hair, so cashmere, wool, fur. They lay larvae and and uh, can destroy something that's really valuable. Uh, the Greek word for vermin here, so it talks about vermin as well. So you got moths, you got vermin, uh, really means like eat away. So if you look at some of the other translations in the Bible, the ESV, uh, NASB, I believe they, they say rust. So maybe you're familiar with hearing it, you know, where, where rust destroys or moths uh, destroy. Uh, And and the idea that that the the scriptures really want us to get is a kind of eating away. So if you have cloth, if you have some sort of food, maybe like a a small little, uh, you know, rat or mouse breaks in and nibbles it away, or a moth nibbles your wool, or uh, rust kind of nibbles away at a coin or any sort of precious material. So there's a lot of ways that things can get destroyed, obviously. Now, I saw some of this firsthand at Indian Village in Estes Park. So I worked there for many, many years in Colorado. And uh, at the Indian Village, we sold Norwegian sweaters, because that makes sense. Uh, And... (laughs) These, these Norwegian sweaters uh, were really popular in like the 60s and 70s and 80s, and they were uh, just a lovely shade of orange, usually orange and red, uh, sometimes striped, sometimes you throw in some light green, kind of like swamp green. Uh, they looked quite fabulous 30 years ago and uh, they used to sell for, you know, over $100, pretty pricey, apparently they'd sell really well, but that was before my time, but by the time I got there, they were not selling, and we had probably around 100 of them that every year in the summer, we would unpack from storage, we would put out, we would sell maybe one or two over the course of a summer, and then we would bagged them back up so that the moths wouldn't get to them, and we would put them back into storage. And we were worried. We were worried that moths would come and destroy this clearly valuable thing, something that we spent time, hours and hours trying to protect, and really we were just losing money because we could have been selling something much more valuable in its place. I think that's called opportunity cost. And see, in our lives, we do something similar. We, 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 we get these treasures in our lives. Maybe it's something like clothes or um, you know, money, uh, maybe it's grades, whatever you spend the most time on, and you, you pour yourself into that and you think, "Ah, oh, this is so valuable. This is so precious to me, but in 10 years, in 15 years and 20 years, you'll look back and you'll probably have a different mindset saying, well, maybe I shouldn't have spent so much time on that thing that really consumed me. What about an eternity from now when we look back? How are we going to view the things that we really spent our time on that consumed us like those moths? See, earthly treasures, they're perishable. They're perishable; They're temporal. And they are ultimately unsatisfying. But there is hope. The scripture talks about the heavenly alternative. See, heavenly treasures are much different. They're imperishable. They are everlasting and they are so satisfying. Now, kind of going back to that culture uh, uh, and kind of the... uh, uh, the building structures of that day, our passage talks about a thief breaking in to steal. Well the early houses with the kind of the lower class middle class, uh, they were often made of bricks uh, made out of mud Uh, and as you can imagine a mud brick is not that um, sturdy you can dig through it and so thieves could actually dig their way into houses and take away the valuables if you had a little bit more money you could make a house out of stone or uh, you know brick from a quarry this is much different than what most people had Now today, we have a few more layers, and we feel a lot more secure. We have uh, siding, we have insulation, we have wood beams, we have drywall. So we have a couple more layers, and we're pretty confident that no one's going to dig through our wall. But is it really that much more secure? A hundred years from now, it's probably not going to look much different. Revelation 21 paints a picture of what could be, what we have in contrast to kind of our earthly security. So we have a picture of mud walls, of dry walls, but Revelation chapter 21 paints a picture of, of eternity and what we have in Christ, and they're gold walls. Uh, Revelation is this this. this kind of vision. It's, it's highly symbolic. It's highly beautiful. Uh, but at the end of the book, there is a John, the author, has a vision of kind of a golden city coming down of out of heaven and, and coming and landing on earth and and really becoming the new heaven and the new earth. And what we're supposed to take away from that passage is that the new heaven and new earth, so Uh, We die, we go to heaven one day, Christ will return and we'll have that new heaven and new earth. And what John wants us to know about that is that that reality is more real than our reality right now. So our eternity in Jesus Christ is even more real than the realness that we're experiencing here tonight. That what feels like... uh, 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 secure dry walls like a sturdy building is nothing in comparison to the new heavens and to the new earth and would you rather invest in something that will perish whether 10 years 100 years a thousand years from now or something that is imperishable an eternity that christ himself has made i'd rather invest in that eternity in that heavenly eternity I don't want to get caught up with those things that so easily distract me in this life. Now, you can tell what we care about most by what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on. So you can look at your, your checking account. You can look at your bank account, your credit card, uh, and see what are the types of expenses I put on there. You probably care a lot about your house, your family, uh, education, food. None of these are bad things, but Jesus does care. Do these take priority over him? We want to focus on Christ. We want to give him everything. We don't want to be consumed by them. We want to focus on Jesus. See, heavenly treasures are imperishable, everlasting, and satisfying. Now, uh, our... our Our passage today does kind of deal with this topic of tithes and offerings, and as we're going to go through the message, we're going to talk about different reasons why we should focus on eternity, how we can invest in eternity, and we also want to look at like practical ways that we can put this into practice in our lives, investing in a real way in eternity. Christ and in that eternity. And we can, one way, the first way, uh, which we really kind of intro in, uh with, is we can invest in eternity by giving our money to God, our finances. Now, many of you have heard the word tithe. Tithe simply means a tenth part. Uh, so if you give uh, 10% of like your income or your paycheck, that is called a tithe, uh, that's why we give tithes and offerings. And this really comes from the, the Old Testament uh, system of first fruits. Uh, so Proverbs 3, 9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, so in the nation of Israel, uh, the people would give kind of the first and the best. so if you had ten sheep, you 'd give kind of the first one that, uh, that was uh, one of your, your best sheep, you would give that to the Lord, or if you had a harvest, uh, you would kind of give the first ten percent of that harvest to God and the cool thing about the the first fruits. Is that 10% really symbolized giving 100%? Uh, Because you're coming before God and you're saying, God, everything is yours. 100% of everything, everything I own, everything in this creation belongs to you. But I'm going to give 10% because that's what you've asked me to give. And that kind of symbolizes giving 100%. It's pretty cool. Uh, And Anytime you give an offering, that's anything you give beyond the 10%. So we give our tithes and our offerings. So if the Lord moves it in your heart to say, you know, I've been really richly blessed this year. I want to I bring my offering back to God. That's just called an offering. That's not called a tithe. Now, many of us uh, have to learn about tithing. It's not something that comes natural to us, like uh, giving a portion of our income to God. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that, uh, that tithing, uh, giving 10% of your income, although it's a hard thing, it's a really good thing. And God himself makes us a promise in Scripture that if you trust him, you don't have to be afraid because he will take care of you. Uh, no matter how much you give, God will watch out for you. Malachi 3.10 actually kind of challenges us in this way. This is Jesus talking to the nation of Israel. He says, This. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room for it to store to store it. So here, Jesus uh God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, he's uh Upset with the nation of Israel because the priests and many of the people have been uh, denying God. This they haven't been bringing in their tithes. They haven't been bringing in their offerings. And God says, "No, put me to the test. Prove me because I I am trustworthy. You you can rely on me. I will take care of you." So the primary reason we don't tithe, that we don't give to God, is because we don't trust that God will take care of us. It's just that simple. So so God, through through the lips of Jesus, Jesus himself here, God himself in the flesh is saying, trust me, I'll take care of you. I promise you will not be disappointed. You can invest in your eternity today. So reason number one is heaven offers an imperishable reward. And reason number two coming from our text is that it helps us live life the right way now. Let's so look at the next couple verses. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is teaching that when we kind of reprioritize, when we make sure that we're giving to the Lord, we're giving of our income, we're we're giving as He blesses us, that it's going to change how we view life, and it's going to help us uh, live life the right way in the now. When Jesus says, "The eye is the lamp of the body," he uh, a simple way of saying this is that the eye is really where your focus is. It directs you. It guides you. Uh, another way of kind of applying this to your, your life in general is what do you spend the most time thinking about? Going back to the whole idea of what do you spend the most, the most of your money on? So if we think about what we spend the most time kind of directing our attention to, that can be a convicting thing, because sometimes we spend it on the wrong things. So how can we change this? How can we uh, control this? Uh, and I have a little bit of an illustration, uh, as there's a, there's a major holiday coming up tomorrow. It's called the Super Bowl. Uh, we have uh, a couple teams that are playing versus each other. We have the Denver Broncos. We, uh, which I'm from Colorado so I'm rooting for them. We have the Carolina Panthers. I don't know if anyone's rooting for them or not. And then we have the Budweiser Clydesdales. Those are everyone that likes to, like to watch the, the, the TV commercials. Maybe you've seen just the, the majestic Clydesdales uh, and, and how beautiful they are. And have you noticed uh, that when they have a, a team of horses, I don't know if it will be in the commercial tomorrow, but you can, you can look online and sometimes you can see the eye patches that they put on the horses, the, the protective uh, wear. Uh, and it's to keep all the horses moving in the same direction, focused on the same thing. And see, we take eye patches in our own life, Uh, Maybe you have uh, school or family, and you you put it on here, and then uh, television or our media, and that directs what we think about, what we focus on. What are your eye patches, those things that you care about most that really uh, kind of determine where you're looking and what you're focusing on? It doesn't have to be a complicated thing, but we all have them. And so the question is, do we have the right eye patches? Do we have the, the, the correct eye, eye protectors? Is one of them Christ, the Holy Spirit? Are they guiding what we're spending our time on, what we're focusing on? This also talks about, like, letting light into the body through the eye. I think that's interesting as your, you know, your pupils uh, adjust and you can, uh, I guess it's the iris that uh, kind of shifts in and uh, tightens. And you have more light or less light that goes into your eyes. And that uh, determines, like, what you see. Are we letting dark things into our lives? Are we letting uh, the light of Christ into our life? Uh, you know, the, the eyes are the windows to the soul. I think, I think in a really real way, they are. Uh, so Jesus is challenging us. He's saying, what do you spend your time focusing on? Now, I, I do believe... That not everything is bad. It's tempting to preach a message like this and just say anything that's not Jesus is a bad thing. I I don't believe that at all. See, Jesus uh, was in there there at the beginning and he created everything. God created everything and it was good. And so we can enjoy life's pleasures and, and honor God. You can enjoy a cup of coffee and honor God. You can enjoy your home and your your family. You can enjoy a good book. The question is, do those things push you towards God or do they pull you away from God? The more you have of it, does it help you appreciate and love God more and more, or does it pull you away from God and say, oh, I'm so satisfied with this thing, with my hobby or my passion, that I really don't need Jesus? That's kind of the differentiating factor. I don't have a list of like the good things you can enjoy and the bad things. It's really about the heart, which is what our passage is really all about. So when we focus on investing in eternity, it helps us really live our lives the right way now. And we talked about different ways that we can invest in eternity. First, we talked about giving our money to God, and that's a challenging thing. But there's also another way you can give to God. Maybe uh, this is for all of us, but it should be especially encouraging to those that don't have much money. See, we can invest in eternity by giving our time to God. Now, there are a couple different ways to uh, really give your time to God. Uh, I like to divide it up into the gathered church and the scattered church. So I haven't really used this uh, phrasing before, gathered versus scattered, Uh, but it's quite simple. The gathered church is any time a group of Christians get together to do something. Uh, so anytime there's two Christians or more, that is what we call the gathered church. So right now, we are experiencing gathered church, where we are worshiping God together. When you go to your small group this week, uh, that is an experience of gathered worship. Or if you gather to be on the worship team, or you meet for coffee with someone, or uh, you know, in a month or two when we do an outreach event, that is a gathered expression of serving God with your time. Uh, these are all Good things. We can invest in those together. It's something that we can do as a community, as a body, just like we learned about uh, in communion. And if you're looking, if you're asking, well, how much time should I spend kind of committing my life to um, serving the gathered church and being a part of the gathered church, you can take that same tithing principle. So if you work 40 hours, 10% would be four hours a week. That's a, that's a starting point, training wheels. And so four hours a week would be enough time to go to church, be a part of a small group, uh, once a month serve on a, a ministry team, uh, and then maybe do an outreach event every once in a while as part of the gathered church. But the good news is that we're not limited to serving just that way. We can can serve God through what we call the scattered church. The scattered church is anytime you're not with a group of Christians. So we spend far more time in the scattered church. That's Monday through Friday as you go to work, as you spend time with your family, as you spend time with your neighbors. Those are the moments that you can also use to serve God. As you go into those moments saying, Jesus, I want to use this moment for you. I want to bring you praise at my job today. I want to please you. Uh, Scripture actually says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That means on Tuesday afternoon, when you're in a meeting at work, you can be using that time for God's glory by doing a good job by, by praying for those around you, by, uh, by loving God and loving others. It's that simple that we can be investing in eternity every moment of every day. It's just a mindset of how we're going about our day. So the question is, are you using these days, are you using these times that you're away from fellow believers for God's glory, to bring God fame, to bring God praise? Are you being ethical at work? Are you praying for those around you? Are you serving your family sacrificially? These are all questions that we need to answer. So we invest in eternity by giving our time to God. Invest in your eternity today. We can do this. There are three reasons why. Heaven, it offers an imperishable reward. Reason number two, it helps us live life the right way now. And reason number three, it frees us to fully love and serve God. This is the last part of our passage. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can serve both God and money. I find this last portion to be incredibly challenging. Because it says, really, there are two people that you can serve. You can either serve God, you can serve Jesus, or you can serve, uh, the passage actually says mammon, which is another word for money. You can serve God or you can serve money. It really deifies or personifies uh, like uh, money itself, as if money, a dollar bill can get up and walk around and tell you what to do. Now, notice there is no third option. There is no, there is no serving self. You either serve the things of this world or you serve God. There's no option number three that says, I will be the master of my own world. And that's because we're all created to worship. We're all created to spend our time serving something. So are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the things of this world? It talks about either loving Jesus and hating money uh, or uh, hating, hating Jesus God and loving money so the question is well how do you know if you're doing one or the other Uh, I think an interesting way of looking at this is asking the question well which one serves the other in your life in other words does Jesus serve your money or does your money serve Jesus uh, so another way of looking at it is if you only pray uh, when you're in times of need, if you only talk to Jesus when you need him to get you out of a bad situation, if you only pray to Jesus when uh, like your, your rent's coming up, your mortgage payment's coming up, and you're not quite there, then really you're just using Jesus as a tool to meet your needs, but if you're coming before Jesus and saying, God, everything is yours. Everything is yours, Jesus. I, you, you have my house. You have my money. You have my checkbook. I want to serve you with my everything. That's really saying, I'm going to take money. Money itself is not evil, and I'm going to submit it to Jesus, submit it to Christ. See, this has a way of freeing us because no longer does everything become about kind of the temporary, momentary needs. It becomes about that eternal need about Jesus. It gives us a better perspective on life. And we invest in eternity uh, by giving our money, by giving our time, but also by giving our message, by sharing the gospel to other people. See, when we share, like, the good news of Jesus Christ, we're offering people a freeing message. We're saying, you don't need to be bound by the things of the world. You don't need to be bound by a job that you pour yourself into you, so you can own big houses and then never go to them. You don't need to be bound by that. You can be freed by Christ, and so we share this message when we talk about Jesus with others. And the cool thing is, is that Jesus, he, we have freedom in Him because He lived this out perfectly. See, Jesus, He was immensely wealthy. He was immensely rich. He sat in heaven. He was enthroned and he left all the treasure of heaven so that he could come and rescue people like you and me from our sins. He turned his back on all of that because he saw a different treasure. Jesus looked on us and said, wow, that is the treasure that I am willing to sacrifice myself for. You are my treasure. That's how much Jesus loves us. He's willing to to lay down his life so that he could win us. And now you can know freedom in Christ if you repent of your sins and put your faith in him. It's as simple as that. Jesus brings us freedom. Invest in your eternity today. Reason number one, Heaven offers an imperishable reward. Heaven, number two, it helps us live life the right way now. And number three, it frees us to fully love and serve God. Invest in your eternity today. I want to close by um, kind of retelling a story from the scriptures. It's one that many of you have heard. If you're new to the Bible, then this is kind of your first introduction, and that's great. It's a story of the rich young man. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, a rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to go to heaven? And Jesus replies to this young man, he says, well, keep the commandments. In other words, you need to obey God. And so the young man says, well, which ones do I need to obey? And Jesus pretty much says, all of them. He says, the 10 commandments, he says, uh, you know, uh, don't murder, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't have any idols, don't have any other gods before me. And the young man says, well, I've done all those since I was a child. I've, I've always obeyed you, God. Uh, uh, you, uh, I've always obeyed you, Jesus. And, and Jesus replies, uh, knowing that this man is looking for an escape, he's looking for an out so that he can kind of check eternity off his box. But Jesus doesn't allow that. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The Bible tells us that the rich young man, he went away sad. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And that is incredibly sobering. It's incredibly... uh, frustrating because he had heaven's treasure standing right before him he had the most valuable thing in the entire universe standing right in front of him Jesus Christ and he said I'm going to substitute Jesus for some coins for some some clothing that moths can eat what would have happened if he had obeyed Jesus if he had sold everything and followed him Maybe we would know his name along that of Peter and Paul and Apollos and the other followers of Christ in that early church. Whatever you are holding on to that is keeping you from Jesus, it is not worth it. It is not worth it. Are you willing to give everything to him? That's what Christianity is. It's saying yes to Jesus, but it's also saying I'm all in for Jesus. Invest in your eternity today. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, way that, the ways that you challenge us. Lord, we take this message home and reflect on it and obey you in whatever way you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.